Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast. Here to amplify diverse voices in media is me, your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed on Apple Podcasts and whatever podcast platform you're listening to on it right now. I would at least hope so. I'm not sure how that would work if you're listening to it and it was not on that. But anyway, make sure to subscribe on all of the platforms that it is listed on. Uh, you can also stream the episodes directly from the website abouttoreview.com. Follow the podcast on social media at About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and youtube.com slash about to review. If you would like to support the show, you can do that in one of two ways. One way is a direct PayPal link, which is in the description below. If that link is not working, you can just search for About to Review on PayPal and do it that way. The other thing you could do is get something off of the Amazon wish list, which is also listed below. There are a variety of things ranging from like $10 to a lot more than that, but those are things that I doubt I will uh, get from a fan, which is fine. I mainly just wanted to put up there so people could see kind of what, what it takes to run a studio. So that is uh, all of those particulars. On this week's episode, I'm going to be reviewing Birds of Prey, which is in theaters right now, or should I say Birds of Prey? and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, which was the original title. They then shortened it recently to just Birds of Prey. Uh, and then I'm going to just kind of recap the Oscars super quick, just go category by category, and basically say if I agreed or disagreed with the picks that were made. So that will be on this week's episode. And before we get into that, we'll go to the original theme song created by Damon Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Also, announcement time, and I do not have an announcement time theme song, but I should work on one. Uh, the cool thing that I am going to be involved in uh, in the month of February is my friend Jen Vaughn, who is a great artist along with, she is a DM and she plays D&D and she has a great podcast called D20 Dames. She also has a new show on, I believe, Twitch? I'm not fully up to date on all of the streaming platforms, but she has a show called The Big Dungeon Show, because her name is Jen Dungeon. The branding on that is on point. It is amazing. Big Dungeon Show, which you can find on Twitter at Big Dungeon Show, and she is at The Jenya, J-E-N-Y-A. So on this Big Dungeon Show, they do monthly adventures. And so just kind of like one shot adventures for the month with a rotating cast of people. And I was super honored because she reached out to me and asked if I wanted to be a part of the February game. So that is exciting. It is also part of my kind of 2020, not resolution, because I 
it is not necessarily that. My 2020 plan, I should say, part of that is now that it has been almost four years since I started the podcast, which is crazy, uh, in 2020, I am going to be putting myself out there a little bit more. I did a play reading, recently a live play reading, which was my first time on stage in like 10 years doing any sort of theater, which was really fun. And so now that the podcast and the marketing and the branding and the the about to review kind of brand is out there, now I kind of am going to start, you know, being out in public a little bit more. So those of you who have gotten very used to seeing pictures of me with my logo on top of my face, uh, that is still going to happen, I think, for a lot of it. But in other situations, then I am going to be actually be out there with my real face. So if you are interested in seeing my real face, if for some reason that does interest you, uh, yeah, definitely check out the Big Dungeon Show. Uh, I will try and link it as well once it goes live. We record on Tuesdays. I'm not sure if it is done live live or live to tape. So we will see. I should be getting more details on that soon, but it is exciting. Thank you, Jen, for letting me be a part of that. All right. So with the episode, with the episode, with the movie that I will be talking about on this episode, it is the one, the only, the longest former name of any movie I can remember in recent years, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, or just Birds of Prey. This is a movie that has been hyped for a while since Margot Robbie, I mean, she has wanted to make this movie since Suicide Squad. It was one of the movies kind of post-Suicide Squad, and no, for those of you listening who have been listening for a while, I'm not going to, every time I talk about Suicide Squad, mention Oscar-nominated or Oscar-winning film Suicide Squad. I'm not going to do that because you know it and you know my feelings on that. But anyway, so Suicide Squad, after that, Margot Robbie was really the only one that shined throughout that immediately they were like, we need to get her her own movie. Yes, there were some talks with Jared Leto's Joker, but then that character and that portrayal just fell so flat that that just did not go anywhere. The only other kind of real standout from that cast was Captain Boomerang, who was amazing, and that was Jai Courtney. <laughs> so this kind of project has been in development for years. So not only was Margot Robbie involved in those discussions early, she really stepped up and she was like, okay, if I want to get this made and I want to get this made in the way that I think best represents this character, I need to be hands-on. So Margot Robbie not only stars in it, but she is also a producer on this. So she is one of the people that gets the final say of the finished product. That was super smart of her just to really take ownership of not just the film, but of this character and the portrayal. That was awesome. Uh, it is directed by Kathy Yan, and she has only done one other feature film before this. So that was pretty bold for them to go with her. She directed a film a couple years ago called Dead Pigs, which I have not seen. So I am not really going to go into it because I just do not know anything about it. Uh, but it was written by Christina Hodson, who I have seen a bunch of her products, products, <laughs> projects. So she was a writer on Shut In, which was a super weird and creepy film. 
Unforgettable, Bumblebee, which was the best film in the entire Transformers universe. It was the Bumblebee film from 2018. She was right on that. She wrote on this. And she is set to write or write the screenplay for the Flash film if it ever exists. The Flash has burned through so many directors since the film was announced a few years ago. Who the hell knows if we will ever see it. But currently, she was announced that she will be writing the screenplay for The Flash. It was also announced that she will be writing the screenplay for Batgirl. When that happens, who knows? How that happens, who knows? But the fact that they had Kathy Ann, director, Christina Hodson writing, Margot Robbie producing, that type of powerhouse female-centric filmmaking is awesome. And it comes from a genuine place of like, okay, we need to really take control. We need to have this character brought to life in her own solo movie the best way possible. And to do that, this is the team they put together. So kudos to them just for like layering this team. And along with that team, you have this cast, which is Margot Robbie, Rosie Perez, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Journey Smollett, Belle, and Ellie J. Bosco. So you have five women leading this film, diverse women, women of color, women of different ages, women of different body types, older women, younger women, great representation just across the board. So through these characters, I mean, of course, we get Harley Quinn as the the title character with this kind of ragtag, madcap group of, of adventurers. Rosie Perez plays Renee Montoya, who anybody knows their Batman history. Generally, Montoya was with uh, Detective Harvey Bullock. I was kind of waiting for them to throw that in there. They did not, but that was totally fine. Mary Elizabeth Winstead plays Helena Bertinelli, or The Huntress. Uh, actually, wait, is that... No, that is not a spoiler. Uh, anybody who knows The Huntress knows that that is who she is. Journey Smollett-Bell plays Dinah Lance, a.k.a. Black Canary. Ellie J. Bosco plays Cassandra Kane, and Ewan McGregor plays the villain Roman Sionis, as well as Chris Messina as Victor Zaz. So, off the jump, you have this group of women all getting kind of their own moments to shine while they kind of unintentionally, and it does not actually go well in all the parts, but when they unintentionally get together to form this loosely <laughs> connected group to go after the main villain, which is Ewan McGregor as Roman Sionis. I did say that Chris Messina as Victor Zaz was also a villain. I mean, he did well, but it was different than the Victor Zaz that has been portrayed in the comic books before and in some of the iterations like in the Batman, the Arkham series of Batman games. This was definitely, I mean, it is hard to say, but almost a more brutal version and I'm not sure if that is because of the dynamic with Victor Zaz and Roman Sionis. You still had the classic Victor Zaz thing of he, you know, carves his body for every kill he makes. But this one, and this is not a spoiler because it is in his first scene. It is not like it is something that develops later on. He slices people's faces off. And we see it. Or we see the after effect of it. That was brutal. And that was something that was 
a little bit surprising. Like, this does have an R rating. And Kathy Yan, when she went to WB with these ideas that she had for the film, backed by Margot Robbie, she said that she did not want the restrictions of a PG-13 rating, or rather any rating. She just wanted to make the film she wanted to make, and WB gave her the reins. WB gave her the confidence and the ability to make the film she wanted to do without sacrificing her vision. A lot of times that does not happen. It's like, hey, here's the movie. I want to do this. Sometimes they even make the movie. Then the studio steps in and was like, well, to play to a wider audience, to do X, to do Z, we needed to be PG-13. And then massive cuts happen and it gets really weird. This one, that did not happen. So because of that, we get that violence from Victor Zaz. We get, I mean, Roman Sionis, a.k.a. Black Mask, is not super violent, mainly because his henchman, Victor Zaz, does a lot of the violence. But that was just unusual. Or not unusual, it was surprising to have that in the moment. But because of that violence, and because of the R rating, we got some of the best-looking, best-choreographed fight sequences of any DC movie. This was not, you know, the typical thing that I rail against, which is a lot of fights in the dark, in the rain, where you cannot really see anything. So many of these fight sequences were done in a really bright space with people in bright, distinct costumes, which is something else that does not really happen all that often. And we get just really frenetic action and there were obviously some clever cuts. The stunt team on this did their job and did their job very well. But you could still see those moments where, especially with like the Huntress, with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I would say, I mean, and Margot Robbie, and to an extent, we do get some uh, with Journey Smollett, you know, doing some, you can see that they actually were doing the choreography. There were other moments where they, there was some, Super crazy moves, and of course there were a lot of like hair whips and things like that to obviously cover the face of the stunt performer, but that is okay. Not everybody can do all of these stunts, and not everybody should do all of these stunts. But to their credit, these women, when they were allowed to do the stunts, when you could actually see it was them, they pull it off. Like, it looks really good. Part of that, I think, is because Kathy Yan went to Chad Stahelski who did John Wick and Atomic Blonde and has been a stuntman and fight choreographer for decades. She went to him and she was like, I know the violence that you're known for in the John Wick franchise. I need that to work in this film. So Chad Stahelski brought his stunt team, uh, 8711. They collaborated together and came up with this brutal type of fight choreography that is similar to John Wick in that it is a lot of hand-to-hand, -hand, a lot of really interesting close combat type of arrangements. The brutality in this is also similar to John Wick. We see Harley Quinn at one point jump on a man's extended legs and we just watch them snap. We see her in the one-on-one -on -one fight where she snaps a guy's legs twice. Well, she snaps each of them individually and then snaps another, snaps one of them a second time. It is brutal, but it 
it worked for the context of the film and it was also powered by the music. So not only, you know, have I shouted out very justifiably so, the writer, director, producer being women, the cast being mainly women, this soundtrack is all women. All exclusive tracks are like 15 tracks of this film. And so you have this music that fits perfectly with the tone of the movie, brutal violence at that same time, and it just melds to give you this maddening, uh, frenetic fight pace that is great. Uh, as for the plot of this, it is a very generic kind of uh, revenge plot in that Margot Robbie, in the beginning, we see her kind of ditch the Joker and break up with the Joker in a very clever way. They never show Jared Leto. They never show his version of the Joker. We never get a face shot of him. Everything is from his shoulder, behind him. That was it. Super clever. Kudos to them. Jared Leto in that performance was just real bad. So they kind of got around that. But having to do with the Joker in particular, one of my favorite sequences is in the very beginning when Margot Robbie is narrating basically where she is right now. And kind of she is setting up the tone of the movie. And they do it in this animated style where we see classic Joker. Not with a bunch of tattoos, not with a bunch of madness, just classic Joker and classic Harley Quinn. It was awesome. So after that animation, we get Harley then in the real world talking about what she is doing. She does a lot of drugs, you know, in this as well. And kind of is just carefree because nobody really knows that she broke up with the Joker. And if they knew that, things would go south quickly. She would not be able to get away with what she normally gets away with because everybody is afraid of the Joker. And that carries through in all mediums of this character, everybody's afraid of him, so when she is with him, she is protected. Or rather, when people think that she is with him, she is protected. Once it becomes known that that is not the case anymore, basically everybody is after her again. Everybody who she had wronged, everybody who she has messed with during this time, is like, okay, she has no protection anymore. It is open season on Harley Quinn. And boom, that is where we go with the plot. Again, mixed in with Roman Sionis having ties to most of the characters in the film in one way or another. That gets explained as the film goes on. And there were some interesting kind of twists and turns along that. But I cannot go into that or it would be spoilers. Uh, so yeah, it is kind of a generic plot. But it works. It works for the context of the film. Ellie J. Bosco as Cassandra Kane. I was really interested with this character because I was not sure where they were going to go with her. For people who know their comic book history, Cassandra Kane is Batgirl, or one of the women who used the moniker Batgirl after Barbara Gordon. This is not that Cassandra Kane. Could she inevitably end up as that character? Sure, she could. But as most of us know that character, even in her later iterations where she became, she took the name Orphan after the No Man's Land storyline and a whole bunch of complicated storylines. This is not even that character, but she is Cassandra Kane by name. And I mean, she is a young Filipina actress and she did well with that character. 
even though I personally, and this is just me, kind of trying to figure out how they're going to weave in the rest. Because with Black Canary, we never really get the backstory of Black Canary. We mainly get the backstories for the Huntress and Harley Quinn. And Harley Quinn, we kind of already knew. Rosie Perez's Montoya, we get a little bit, but it is just, there are no like flashbacks. It is just, hey, this is what happened. That was it. Same with Cassandra Kane. So I was interested to see where they went and why they made those choices to only really give the backstory for a couple of the characters. And they did it in honestly a little bit of a con- convoluted way that I was not a big fan of. It was one of the things that I kind of took issue with this film is we would be going, we would be seeing this character, and then a weird flashback that was just the timing of it was kind of weird, and we already kind of were getting to know the character. A flashback. And then a little bit more, we get to know the character, and then another flashback of that same character, and it was like, okay, but why so much with this and not the rest of the cast? That was just kind of an odd choice, and I'm not sure why exactly they did that. So that storytelling device was kind of weird. But the chemistry between all of these women, they absolutely nailed it. The soundtrack was incredible. The colors were incredible. And one of the things that people were knocking on this movie before it even came out was the costuming. And by some people, I mean a bunch of angry dudes on Twitter. But guess what? They are dumb. Uh, they were talking about how uh, she is not sexy enough. Who cares? Like, what, what are you going to this movie for? And, shocking, when you have a woman director and a woman writer, they shoot things differently than when a man is behind the camera. They have different choices for costuming as when a man is behind the camera. So, it works still. And these women are still, you know, if it is what you're going for, these women are still attractive and whatever. They just are not wearing super skimpy things. Harley Quinn, in particular compared to her last iteration in Suicide Squad. Keeping in mind that, A, Paul Dini, who created the character, complete, I mean, he had nothing to do with this film, but he was asked about it, of course. And he was like, I love the direction they're going with. Harley should have a bunch of different outfits. She should constantly be changing, because that is who she is. That is her character. This is coming from the person who created that character. And in those first appearances on Batman the Animated Series... She was fully clothed from head to toe in a traditional Harley Quinn, Harlequin outfit. But then people got uh, a dose of her in something very skimpy in Suicide Squad. And they're like, oh, well, this is the Harley Quinn that, that is the classic one. It was like, no, it really, really is not. So in this one, I loved the costumes. The costumes totally rocked. The music was great. Just the color play, the color dynamics were really smooth, and again, it just it fit along with the tone that they were going with of being bright and colorful while also being gruesome. One of my favorite fight scenes in this, of which there are a few, is in this evidence locker lockup of the police headquarters, and there's just cocaine flying everywhere. Harley Quinn, or her stunt double, I want to make sure I get, give credit where credit is due, does some incredible work with the bat that is her main weapon and the way she was twirling it, the way she was moving with it looked awesome. It was really, really well done. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think. Yeah, there's there are some little plot points that I could go into, but it would more get into the spoilers. 
Um, but yeah, the Huntress. I liked Mary Elizabeth Winstead as that role. There were multiple times where she had some humor that she did not understand as her character why people thought it was humorous. That was funny. She nailed that. Joni Smollett Bell as Black Canary. That was really cool. I liked this version of Black Canary. It was a different version, and we only really see the Black Canary that we know, uh, uh, should I say, in limited doses. Uh, but when we get it, it was great. So, and yeah, Ewan McGregor, like, he was solid as Roman, Roman Santos. I was like this over-the-top, kind of eccentric, comic book-style villain. So, uh, Ali Wong is also in this uh, briefly, and she was great. But she's also always great. Uh, yeah, that is about it. Or as much as I will say about Birds of Prey, shortened title. Uh, the rating system for the About to Review podcast, if this is your first time listening, there are three choices. Those three choices are good, bad, or ugly. No stars, no letter grades, nothing. Just those three, good, bad, or ugly. A good film is something that you walked out of the theater excited to tell your friends about, that you really enjoyed. Bad film is something that did not really do anything for you. You came out of the theater and you're like, all right, that was a movie. Ugly, avoid at all costs. So Birds of Prey, my official rating for that is good. This was really fun. I definitely had a lot of fun in the theater watching this. Loved the soundtrack. There's some Doja Cat on there because she is just great and weird and awesome. Uh, yeah, Megan the Stallion. I mean, a bunch of stuff. So there is a lot to like about this movie. The people who are on, the people that you see online that are only complaining about this because of the costumes, do not listen to them. That is crazy. So, or that is, yeah, just unnecessary, an unnecessary dig at this. So yeah, but I give it a good. All right. So now to my super quick recap of the Oscars, uh, starting from basically the the top categories, and I'm just gonna run down them real quick. Best Picture, Parasite won. Duh, it should win everything. Parasite was incredible. It was one of my top 10 films of the year. Fantastic film. I loved seeing that win. Uh, Bong Joon-ho, like, it was just great. The whole cast was great. Uh, moving on, Best Actress, Renee Zellweger in Judy. I 100% do not understand that. Judy has won a grip of awards this award season, and I do not understand that. I watched it. I never reviewed it because I did not have to because they sent me a screener and blah, blah, blah. I did not enjoy the movie. It just did not really do enough to like let me, somebody who does not know that much about Judy Garland, to give me an insight into really who she was. We get flashbacks to when she was a teenager with Mickey Rooney and then present day, at least in the time of the film, without a lot of connecting points, without a lot of connective tissue. And so Renee Zellweger was good as Judy, but I just wanted more from the film, and I was just, I was super confused by that, so that was just kind of weird. Uh, best actor, Joaquin Phoenix, that was kind of a shoe-in. Most people had him picked to win. I did not have him picked to win. He had a great speech, and he kind of rambled for a little bit, but he stayed on track, stayed on message uh, during his acceptance speech, so I'm okay with that. He did play that character very well in a very different way. I still am not a fan of the movie, but you can go back and listen to my review for that. Uh, Jonathan Price in The Two Popes was fantastic, and that was my choice. Uh, best Director, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. 
Absolutely. 100% agree with that. It just, yeah. Parasite was phenomenal. Uh, the original song, uh, I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man, that was what I had picked because it just made the most sense. Uh, Cynthia performing stand-up at the Oscars was incredible. I just knew that it, between that and Frozen 2, those were kind of, with Rocket Man and Frozen 2, those were only the real two that were kind of pushing. Randy Newman, come on, man, you have sounded the same for 40 years. Your song sounded the same as from Toy Story 1. Like, oh, we get it. It was just kind of weird. The song from Breakthrough, ugh, dumb. Uh, Breakthrough was a movie they sent to me like two months before it came out, and I just had zero interest in watching it. So, yeah. Uh, music, the original score. I was 100% okay with Joker, uh, with the film Joker winning that. So, seeing a woman composer get up there who did the score, it was our first nomination, our first win. Her speech was super cute and awesome, and like you could just tell how overwhelmed she was, and she had a good message with a small voice. And it was one of those things where, you know, she was talking about finding your voice and standing up for yourself with a lower toned voice, which kind of forced you to pay attention and be drawn into that. So that was really cool. International feature film, South Korea, Parasite. Again, 100% love it, love it, love it. Makeup and hairstyling, Bombshell. No surprises there. The only real competition would either be Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, because they also used a lot of prosthetics, just like Bombshell, but there was just no contest. Like, that makeup and hairstyling for Bombshell was just eerily beautiful. Visual effects for 1917, it is hard to bet against war movies. The Academy loves war movies. This guy, or rather that guy, named John, does not. Uh, I have made my stance on that multiple times. I just do not like them. There, There is not really a 20th century war movie that gets me excited to go see it. But I was not surprised at all by that win. Uh, my pick for that was The Lion King, only because nothing in that was real. Every single blade of grass was created through visual effects. So from that standpoint, I would have liked to see it win, even though the movie was unnecessary. Best film editing, Ford versus Ferrari. I'm okay with that. that it was It was clever. Uh, it was well done, especially when you were doing race kind of choreography and filming in multiple sections. It takes a master editor to, to pull that together. Best Cinematography to Roger Deakins of 1917. Also, 100% given. Everybody knew he was going to win. Roger Deakins is an absolute legend. Arguably the best cinematographer alive today. So that is not surprising. Best Sound Mixing, 1917. Also, do not bet against war movies when it comes to that category. Best sound editing went to Ford versus Ferrari, which was very surprising. Sound mixing and sound editing almost always go together. So 1917 not winning for editing was surprising. But Ford versus Ferrari did, so okay. Best supporting actress, Laura Dern for Marriage Story. This was another one that was kind of a shoe-in. Uh, she has been picking up a bunch of awards or getting talked about in a lot of awards. And nobody really else, I think had that level. Kathy Bates, I mean, she was barely in that movie, and that, she was good, she always is good. But yeah, Laura Dern, I'm okay with that. Still does not like the movie, but that is a different story. Documentary short feature, Learning to Skateboard in Warzone, If You're a Girl. Solid film. Very, very solid film. Again, not surprising that it it won, especially with the rest of those in that category. Uh, shout out to my previous episode where I talked to 
my friends uh, Chris McRonnie and Elena Silverberg, who also have a movie about uh, skateboarding girls called B-Side, which hopefully you guys will be able to see soon when it drops on streaming. So shout out to them. Documentary feature, American Factory, not surprising at all. That one had a lot of eyes on it, and it was the most easily accessible. Um, I kind of wanted For Sama um, or Honeyland, but American Factory, I, I, I'm totally okay with that. It was a solid documentary, and it is on Netflix, so anybody can watch it. Best costume design, this was just, honestly, this was a joke. Nothing will compare when you do best costume design to historical pieces. I will say with best costume design, how Ruth Carter got passed up for Dolomite Is My Name, I will never understand. That makes no sense. She should have won. But when you really look at it, The Irishman, Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, literally all of the costumes for that movie, you could go to Value Village in your town right now and pick up those costumes. For any of those. For Jojo Rabbit, you might have to go to like a boutique store, but you could find them. With Little Women, whenever you do a period piece like that, that costume designer is creating all of those looks. Not to say that the other ones are not, but you, I mean, you have to, you are forced to create those dresses. There is no getting around it. Whereas all of the other four nominees in this category, I could find those costumes. They might not be exact, you know, but you could do it like at a thrift store. So from a technical perspective, yeah, Little Women, it was a shoe in Production design is tricky. I knew Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would get it because everybody loves old Hollywood and the technical things that they had to do to really not miss a single beat and make it look exactly like if they had filmed in the 70s. Every car, every building, every advertisement you saw, they crushed it with production design. That being said, Parasite should have won. I say that because as delicate as you have to be when doing a period-appropriate movie like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Bong Joon-ho, when he got together with his production designer, who I totally forgot to look up, and he was like, okay, I need a house where we can film angles very particular ways, and we can have you know, very noticeable angle changes, and I want to be able to move the camera freely and do this and that. And his production designer was like, uh, that doesn't exist. And so he was like, okay, what do we need to make it happen? So they collaborated and essentially built the house that you see in that movie. Purely because Bong Joon-ho had such a vision of how he wanted to film his movie that he was not going to take spare any expense on doing that. So he just had them build it from the ground up. Incredible. And especially when you look at the set of Parasite, uh, just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. So... Again, I figured Hollywood would win. I wanted Parasite to win. Live action short film, The Neighbor's Window. Kind of a Hitchcockian rear window type of situation. It was all right. This year's live action shorts, I was not blown away by. They were good, but yeah, nothing super fantastic. Best adapted screenplay, Taika Waititi for Jojo Rabbit. Totally okay with that also. Again, my kind of pick was The Two Popes because... I just I connected with the two popes uh, a lot just from personal experience um, and being in a lot of the places, the physical places where they filmed that movie. Uh, but yeah, Taika Waititi winning that first Maori uh, candidate or first Maori Academy Award winner. Fantastic. 
Uh, original screenplay, Bong Joon-ho, Parasite. Duh. As much as Knives Out, like I wish it was nominated in other categories, I just I knew that Parasite would take this. Um, so yeah, I, I loved that that win. Animated short film, Hair Love. Now, for those who were just as excited as me for Hair Love, so those are people that I know. Like I know the people who made that that short film, Matthew Cherry. Uh, he was on an episode of mine like over two years ago when he first launched the Kickstarter to make the book called Hair Love and to like do this animated short film way before Sony Pictures got involved when it was in its infancy, when this project was just getting off of the ground. I hit him up and I was like, hey man, I would love to have you on my show to talk about this because it is such an amazing story. And he was like, yeah, of course. So you can go back um, and listen to that episode. I will actually link it below so it is easy. Um, Yeah, it was from like 2017 where we talked about Hair Love. And another shout out to Hair Love in the sense that another friend of mine, Vashti Harrison, who did the original kind of pre-visualizations for that book and for the inevitable short film, she created those looks. Like she drew all of that. She is a phenomenally talented artist she has then gone on to write and well and draw uh other books little leaders the series both men and women were amazing she also did a book with lupita nwango which you can find in bookstores now so she was also on the show again like two years ago talking you know just about her work we never really talked about hair love because i wanted to hear more about the other projects that she was working on at that time like little leaders uh but yeah the two of them So Matthew and Vashti, who were, again, doing this years ago on Kickstarter, he now has an Oscar. So, so well-deserved. That short film is phenomenal. Very well-deserved. So congratulations, especially to Matthew and and Vashti. That short film would not exist without those pre-visualizations that she did. And she, unfortunately, is not getting the recognition she deserves and some of the articles talking about that. So if only on this show, I will absolutely always give her props for the work that she did. Animated feature film, Toy Story 4, duh. Like, I knew that was going to win, even though I really wanted How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, because I love those movies. That series of films, from beginning to end, is so solid. It wraps up the story perfectly in this latest film, The Hidden World. I just, I, I just fell in love with those movies years ago. Toy Story, yeah, it is good. I mean, it is, it is borderline great, but come on. I think you have three of these, Toy Story. Let somebody else win. I thought it was kind of weird. Uh, best Supporting Actor, Brad Pitt, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Again, not my pick. Uh, Anthony Hopkins and the Two Popes, I think, did a better job. Uh, I think Anthony Hopkins was the best actor in this category, although Joe Pesci completely rocked. Once one or the Irishman, he was the best part of that film, bar none, just flat out. So, yeah, I think that uh, or did I do best supporting actress already? Man, these aren't these aren't a weird order. Uh, but yes, I think I did best actor. Uh, but but and as I'm scrolling, yeah, so I did best supporting actress a while ago. So yeah, those are my quick thoughts on the Oscars and also Birds of Prey. Um. Yeah, so make sure to check out the Big Dungeon Show. I will link that below. Um, and then kind of a an announcement, uh, I I will I will say. 
So as listeners of the show know, um, I don't really talk a lot about kind of my personal life and, and things that are, are going on. I like to keep my business personal life kind of separate and keeps me motivated in different ways. Uh, that being said, there definitely is some, some things happening uh, in my personal life, and I might not be able to produce uh, episodes every week uh, for the next couple of weeks. There, there's a lot kind of going on uh, in my world, and it is kind of turning my world upside down in a few different ways. But um, I will try and get these out as, as often as I can. Um, so I appreciate your, your patience with me with that. And yeah, if you want to reach out in the meantime, if I'm not putting out an episode, you want to reach out and just say, hey, say what is going on, uh, you can do that either on social media at about to review or shoot me an email at about to review at gmail.com. So yeah, I will try to get episodes out, but it is also a slower time of year, which is good because with the things going on, I just might not be able to focus as much on going to the movies as much. So uh, yeah. So there was that. Uh, sorry to kind of be a downer towards the end of the episode, but I just felt I, I owed that to you, to my listeners, because you guys are amazing. You are the main reason I, I do this is because I'm not just throwing my voice out there into the ether. When I put on an episode and I get feedback on it, when people hit me up on social media or send me a message, it just reminds me that this is why I do it, because I, I just I love doing it. I love interacting with you. So a uh, quick recap. Birds of Prey, I gave a good two Oscars. I really enjoyed some of the picks. I really enjoyed some of the speeches. Bong Joon-ho's speeches were amazing. Um, and yeah, congratulations to Parasite. It is it is a well-deserved win. Congratulations to Hair Love in particular um, as well. Um, so yeah, so that wraps it up for this episode. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Be that Apple Podcast or whatever podcast platform you're listening to right now. Follow on social media at about to review. Abouttoreview.com has full links to the show notes and guests. Um, and then, yeah, definitely hit me up anytime uh, you have any questions. So for this episode, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show in any way that you do that too. Or any way that you do that, whether there's a tweet, whether there's a message or a PayPal donation or something off the wish list. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my, my heart. I, I appreciate everything that you guys you guys do to support this show. So with that being said, I'm your host, that guy named John, and we will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.